So we've been talking about some theology in the sense of what people believe about the Word and particular areas of the Word. And when we talk about theology, there are systems. And by a system, that basically means if you hold uh, something to be true, you believe this to be true, it's going to have an impact on downstream, as it were. And so if you believe that you're going to interpret prophecy in a figurative way, uh, allegorical way, rather than literal, that will have an impact on um, downstream from that. And if you believe that the thousand-year kingdom of Christ is literally a thousand years, then it will have an impact on everything downstream, as it were, after the fact. And so uh, the theological systems are sort of like a, uh, you go to the store and you buy a puzzle. And you get the puzzle and you have the pieces and you put the pieces together and you look at the cover, the box lid, to see what it looks like as you put the pieces together. It's a family project we do periodically is to get a puzzle and everybody contributes to it. Well, you know, with a lot of grandkids, something that happened one time is uh, two puzzles got put together in one box. And so you're trying to put a puzzle together with uh, puzzle pieces from two different puzzles. And it got to be kind of confusing, like, I don't know where this one fits. And actually, after a while, we kind of came to the conclusion, we got a lot of extra pieces here that don't fit. And so when we're looking at this whole thing of prophecy and we look at systems, one of the things that's important to understand is that the pieces as we put them together, the sequence of events, are basically going to be a particular system of of theology that we have. And so we've gone through some of that in the past and we've said, okay, we use the literal method. Now, it doesn't mean we don't allow for figures of speech. Uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. We understand that He's not a literal sheep, but we understand what that means. But as much as often we take everything literally, we call it the normative way of talking. In other words, I talk to you, you talk to me. We understand each other because we understand our language, the normal use of figures of speech. And so that becomes one of the prerequisites for our particular system of theology that we arrive at is that we begin with a premise. And that premise is, is the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God. And so we're going to read it and take it for what it says as a person would write to another person. I write a letter to you, you read the letter, you understand what I say, because we're using the same system of hermeneutics as it were. And so our system is that we take the Bible literally. Now that means we have to take into context the, the uh, history, the, the culture uh, of the times, and we figure that out, we read about it, and we research that and, and understand it accordingly. Uh, and so as much as possible, everything's literal. Another prerequisite foundation principle is that we believe that the nation of Israel, that the promises made uh, all through the Old Testament in regards to the future for the nation of Israel is that they are a literal nation and that the promises are intact. We don't take those over. Now, probably more than half of the evangelical groups in the United States today have as the premise is that Israel is no longer uh, in the picture. When they crucified Jesus as their Messiah, all the promises that were made to them as a nation, they forfeited, and now we, the church, are inheriting those promises. Now, if you believe that to be true as a, as a uh, premise beginning, it's going to influence everything downstream from that in the sense of how you interpret Scripture. And so we believe that we interpret the Bible literally, and we also believe that the nation of Israel is still uh, the chosen people. They're still going to inherit the promises that were promised to them in the book of Isaiah and all the major prophets, minor prophets in the Old Testament. And they, they will be in the promised land, uh, and so they're a separate group of individuals. So that impacts everything that we do from there on down the line. So we're going to look at a group in the kingdom so, to this point, the next, in your notes, number one, the next prophetic event to happen is the rapture of the church. And so, there, that's a, people have different views on that. That's my view. That's the one that I teach, is that that's the next thing that's happening. Of all the things that are happening, that's next. It's uh, the... Uh, 
anytime, any moment. Nothing needs to happen before that happens. And so we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to happening about 6 o'clock this evening. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I think if God were to appear to me in the middle of the night and say, okay, I'm going to let you decide. When's it going to be? Oh, Lord, let's make it after July. Why? Well, because that's when I go to fishing in Alaska. And then he might say, well, the fishing is going to be way a lot better uh, in the kingdom. Okay, all right, let's do it tonight then. Um, so we don't know. There's no, nothing has to happen before Jesus comes. It's the any moment imminent return of Jesus to take his church. We meet him in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. We meet him up in the air. We get our new glorified bodies and off to heaven we go. And uh, at some point not too long after the rapture it might be a day it might be a year then the tribulation officially begins the tribulation officially begins when the antichrist signs a, a treaty with the world for peace and that israel will be at the center of that it's a fairly clear teaching in the book of daniel when the tribulation begins when he signs his name this one world ruler he is king of the world as it were and he signs this treaty where Israel now nobody bothers and bugs them they're at peace that's the beginning of the seven year tribulation period and lots of things happen and we'll have a lesson on that during the tribulation and then at the end of the tribulation when it gets worse and worse and worse and worse Jesus comes back this is the second coming he's on a horse and he brings his people his, his uh, us the church with him and you all are riding horses, white horses, and I'm riding a Harley Davidson. And uh, however it is, and we come back and the kingdom is established on the, the world. The devil is thrown into the pit for a thousand years. His kingdom established a thousand years. Jesus rules in a little of Jerusalem for a thousand years. And uh, so during that thousand-year kingdom era, there are groups of people. There is the nation of Israel. They're saved as a nation. They, as a, collectively as a nation, trust Jesus as a Messiah, and they will be in the promised land. David would be leading, ruling his people, a literal David. Uh, they will be offering sacrifices. The temple will be rebuilt. It's described in the book of Ezekiel, literally everything uh, about the uh, millennial kingdom temple. And then there'll be the church, the bride of Christ. We're seated with Jesus at his right hand. Uh, and so there's all that's about the church. Another group that will be in the kingdom are what are called Old Testament saints. That would be Adam and Seth and Noah. Where do they fit? Well, there's a collection of these, we call them Old Testament saints. And then another group are those who are alive when Jesus comes back. They're still running around the earth as live physical individual beings. And there's a judgment called the sheep and goat judgment that they go through. Many of those individuals will enter into the kingdom alive physically. And they're going to have babies during the thousand years. There's going to be a population explosion. They're going to be farming and fishing. I'm in charge of the fishing during the kingdom. Um, uh, and then there's a group, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, those who get saved during the tribulation period. Remember, I'll read 1 Thessalonians 4 to you, chapter 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. This is about the rapture, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have already died. My mom's died, my dad's died, both believers, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe the gospel... Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, when we meet him in the air, my mom and dad are going to be with Jesus. It says he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the shout that you, you, we talked last week about what those, that shout is in Revelation 4. It's, come up here! It's just like Charlton Heston or Sam Elliott. You know, God's voice, however that sounds. Come up here! With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, they are there in, with him now, their spirit, but they will receive their glorified body uh, just a little bit before we do. They will rise first. Then we who are alive 
and remain. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. See that word caught up. You remember caught up the, the, when this was translated, the Greek was translated to Latin. The Latin word for that word, harpazo, the Greek word was rapturo. That's where the word rapture comes from. People will say, rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it is, sort of, kind of. You just have to go through a couple of translations. And, uh, and so it was. Um, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we meet him in the air. That's the rapture. And then shortly after that, the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, the kingdom, and we come back again. Number two, following the rapture of the church, the tribulation period will begin with a possible short gap between the two. <clears throat> so one of the things that the uh, treaty that's signed that will be a factor is that the nation of Israel gets to rebuild the temple. And in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist enters into the temple. So it's obvious that it exists. It doesn't exist now. If you go over to Israel, there's a portion of it, but uh, the wall. Number three, the tribulation period lasts for seven years and ends when Jesus returns and sets up the kingdom. Which lasts for 1,000 years. Now again, over half of the evangelical denominations in the United States today believe that thousand years is not literal. And basically would say that we're in the kingdom now. And it began when Jesus ascended into heaven and got on his throne in heaven. And now we, the church, are the kingdom. And God is mediating his rule in the world through the church. And so again, that's a very common teaching over half of the evangelical denominations in our country would teach that to be true. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him. That's us. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen. As you study the various groups of people, the distinctive nature of the church is white garments. White and clean. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. These nations are all warring against God may strike down the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, of small and great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And so the Antichrist and the beast and all those who are gathered with him say, we can take Jesus, we can take him, we'll win, but they don't. And one of my very favorite verses in the Bible, I don't have it here, it says when an angel, it's not even Jesus himself, an angel takes the devil, snatches him, picks him up, and pitches him into the lake of fire. For a thousand years. It always reminds me of my first Jack Russell. He died several years ago, but it was a no-no for him to sleep on my chair. But whenever I wasn't around, he'd sneak up and sit in it. And one time I snuck up behind the chair, and there he was, and I grabbed him by the hair around his neck, the loose hair, and picked him up, opened the door, and pitched him outside. I don't think I ever caught him in my chair again after that. But every time I read that passage, I visualize pitching my dog out the door. I mean, the devil thinks he's tough, but he isn't going to last long. Once God says, you're done, pitches him in the lake of fire. For a thousand years, he's not allowed to mess with people. 
Number four, the tribulation officially begins with the signing of a peace treaty between Israel and the world brokered by the Antichrist. Somebody was asking me about, there's quite a bit of stuff going around now about this vaccine for COVID. And they said, is the, uh, if we take the vaccine, is that like taking the mark of the beast? I said, well, uh, the beast isn't here yet. The Antichrist is going to be a, a person. And he's going to be a powerful individual that rises up and becomes a ruler of the world, as it were. And he's going to sign a treaty with Israel. And then uh, once we get into the tribulation, we'll begin this rule that you have to take the mark, otherwise you can't buy or sell. We're not even close to that. So, um, no. I mean, I, you can look at the vaccine any way you want, but it's not the mark of the beast. Uh, because we're not there. Unless, you know, you're one of those who believe we're in the kingdom now and we're in the tribulation now as well. They kind of run together. So you can kind of run things together and come up with all kinds of stuff. But if you take it literally, uh, we're not there and we won't be. So no big deal. Daniel 9.27, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. One week in uh, the, the, Daniel, that's, a, that's seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come, will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes, the de makes desolate. And that last part's a little confusing, and you have to look at the whole context there to get it. But the fact is, the Antichrist has a covenant with the many, with the world, uh, for one week. And, but in the middle, he says, ah, I'm king. He goes into the temple and uh, declares himself to be ruler of the world, the God of the world, and tells everybody, you worship me. And then everything really gets hot. Number five, the tribulation will be the absolute worst time in the history of mankind. It will be worse than World War One. It will be worse than World War Two. It will be worse than any war we've ever had. It will be worse than COVID. It will be worse than any natural disaster that's ever happened. Any hurricane or flood or earthquake, the tribulation. And it will get more increasingly worse for seven years at a very rapid rate. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael the great prince, an angel who stands guard over the sons of your people, he's the angel that's in charge of the nation of Israel. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time, and at that time your people, that is the nation of Israel, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued or saved. And so it says that this is the time of distress such as never occurred. It is the absolute worst in the history of mankind, this tribulation period. Jeremiah 35, For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. So it's nothing like this has ever occurred before. Zephaniah chapter 1. Near is the great day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, are all synonyms. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warriors cry, cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust, uh, out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end and indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. Doesn't sound like Sometimes people say, well, we'll go through the tribulation. You can do it if you like. Me, I'm not. I'm leaving. Uh, Revelation 6, 4. Another, uh, here's some descriptions of it from Revelation. A red horse went out, and to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth. No peace anywhere. And that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. 
Moving on to verse 8, I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following with him and authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence and wild beasts. Wild beasts are going to be running all over the world eating people. Moving on to verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That's going to be a pretty good earthquake. Every island is moved out of its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Verse, uh, chapter 8, the first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up. A third, well, we had a lot of fires this summer, but it wasn't a third of the earth. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, or poison, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Or poison. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would, uh, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Chapter nine. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. These were these scorpions that are turned loose on the earth. Uh, they're big. They're like the size of a horse. These scorpions. It says they weren't permitted to kill anybody, but to torment for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it, for they will long to die, and death flees from them. Seems to be a rule that God makes at this time that they can't die, they can't commit suicide, they've got to stay alive, and they go through this torture being bitten by these huge scorpions uh, that have this great pain. Number six, everyone on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation will be lost people. I'm curious sometimes. I think, imagine, you know, I read my news on the Internet. I have a couple of different news sites that I get, most of them conservative. And uh, I glance through it. Sometimes I spend a little bit more time on it than other time. But I wonder what the news is going to look like the day after the rapture. I'm just curious what's going to be there. It'll be, it would be kind of, I think I'll see if the Lord will let me read it from heaven. Number seven, the tribulation will be a time of amazing revival. Probably the greatest revival that's ever happened in the sense of the number of people that become believers. Thousands of people will come to Jesus as their Savior. So if I weren't a Christian and the rapture happened, I'd become one quick. Revelation 7, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude, great multitude which no one could count. Now that's a lot. From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, every language is included, every nation is included, every country is included in the number of these people. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders. By the way, you remember the throne, the elders, last week? Uh, that was the church, us, in our white robes on 24 thrones, 24 being a number uh, that is representative of the church, and there we are. We were there before uh, the tribulation starts, and now these individuals uh, are around this same uh, group of thrones. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, 
worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. We've sang that song in the past. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, These, this is John writing, so the elder says to John, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? It's a quiz. And where have they come from? John says, I, I don't have a clue. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat for the... Uh, nor any heat for the Lamb will in the center of the throne be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So this is during the tribulation that this scene happens. So if you become a believer during the tribulation, the probability of you living long is fairly small, especially in the second three and a half years. And so most of those who believe Jesus, trust Christ as their Savior, become born again during the tribulation, get martyred. The form of martyrdom is they get their head cut off. And so that's this group right here. They've already been martyred. They're there before Jesus. They will call them tribulation saints. Tribulation saints. A, a key purpose of the tribulation, and we went through this already, there are three purposes for the tribulation. One of the three is to bring people to Jesus because God wants every person to be saved. Thousands will be converted to him in Christ for four reasons. Big revival happens during the seven-year tribulation period. Many thousands and thousands of people believe Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that He came to earth, that He died for their sins, and they trust Him as their Savior. They believe the gospel. Number nine, the first reason of the four is because many who are left behind will have heard the gospel already. You know people like that. You know people that you're related to, you live next door to, you work, they've heard the gospel, you've shared it with them, you've invited them to church, and they've rejected it repeatedly. Maybe family members, and you've prayed for them and shared with them and invited them, and they just keep rejecting. And so there are going to be a bunch of these individuals who have heard the gospel from you, from other people at revivals, whatever, haven't trusted Jesus, or maybe they thought they did, and they just had sort of a mental assent to his, some historical information, but they're not believers, but they know the gospel. So if you were one of those individuals and people you know that are Christians oop, are gone, what will you say? Oops. That will be the greatest oops anybody said. I think I messed up. The first reason is because many who are left behind will have heard the gospel and rejected it but will have enough Bible knowledge that they recognize that they messed up and repent. So I would be willing to bet the first hour of the seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be a lot of people that fall into this category who say, oops, and they know the Bible enough to know that, uh, and they understand the gospel, and so they immediately believe and are born again, adopted into the family of God. Number 10, the second reason so many people come to Jesus is because God will have made arrangements for people to preach the gospel to everyone. It's going to be a unique time, and God's going to be really actively involved in the world, and things are going to happen supernaturally that don't happen now. Uh, because God is like, okay, we've got seven years left to get a bunch of people saved. And the gospel is going to be preached aggressively all over the world, and people are going to hear it. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, you know, I get that quoted to me all the time. Rapture can't come yet because... Not every person, not every nation has heard it. Well, see, they're assuming that Matthew 24, 14 is talking about the rapture. It's not talking about the rapture because the rapture was a mystery first introduced by the Apostle Paul. This is Jesus saying this. He's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming. 
which is after the tribulation. So, the end, that's when Jesus comes back and establishes his thousand-year reign on the earth. Won't come until all the nations, every tongue, every person has heard the gospel. So in seven years, there's going to be this aggressive evangelism program all over the world. And so Matthew 24, 14 is a statement by Jesus. Uh, he is going to be spreading the gospel very rapidly. Revelations 14, 6, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. Mid-heaven, that's like right here. Having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tongue, tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs and water. So I've often said, You know, Lord, you know what would work really good is if you just have an angel appear and talk to people. They'd believe the angel. Well, lo and behold, God took my advice. <laughs> I think maybe he decided on this one before I threw up mine. An angel flying in mid-heaven has the God. And he's preaching to those who live on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person. He says with a loud voice so many can hear. Fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Hey, things are bad now. It's come. You're in trouble. If I was in the tribulation and an angel flew over me and proclaiming the gospel like that, I'd believe. Revelation 7 saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Bondservants of God. Now, I don't know where these dudes came from. Uh, but all of a sudden, here they are, and they're called bondservants. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So 144,000, they're sealed, meaning they can't get killed. The plagues won't bug them. The Antichrist can't touch them. Uh, they're invincible. I, that'd be cool. You know, I was thought of this one time. What if God were to say to us, He's, the rapture of the church happens. Come up here. Bodies change. We all meet him in the air. And Jesus said, okay, I'm, I'd like some volunteers, people who would like to go back down, stay for the seven years, be a witness for me. You know what I do? I'd ask a question. Are we invincible? Okay, I'll go. I mean, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I don't care what you do, Antichrist. Pour it on. I'm invincible. All the plagues, Whatever. Seven years of being Superman. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. These are two now different ones. We moved on from the 144. Two witnesses. Now, these are the dudes I'd really like to be. They will prophesy for 1,260 days. That's the three and a half years. Second three and a half years, this is when these dudes will be prophesying, preaching. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? I'd like to have that now. I'd go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> so if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, so what's their job? These guys are the ultimate in evangelists. And uh, burning people up, fire out of their mouth, causing plagues, doing all this kind of stuff. I'd believe them if I were here. They have the power to shut up the sky, and they have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth, every plague, as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the altar their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look on their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. So, you know, when I was a kid, that verse didn't really make much sense. But now, with Facebook, Internet, Social media, that's a piece of cake. Everybody will be able to see it on their phone. Look at those dudes. These are all the people that are left that have rejected 
the angel rejected the 145,000, rejected the two witnesses, said, no, we're not going to worship Jesus. We're not going to trust him. And so when these two dudes get killed, they all celebrate. They send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Same words that we're going to hear. And they went up into heaven in the clouds. Their enemies watched them. Uh-oh. Number 11, the third reason so many people turn to Jesus as their Savior is because of the awful trials that they experience. So Jesus' first method in Romans says that the blessing of God leads people to repentance. The goodness of God leads people to repentance. But now we're shifting. That didn't work. So now we're going to try the tribulation, the trials, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Revelations 11:13. In that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. The rest were terrified, gave glory to the God of heaven. So the sheer volume of tribulation that's going to come like waves one after the other during the seven-year period will bring people to their knees in faith in Jesus because they've heard the gospel from three sources. Number 12, the fourth reason is that everyone will see Jesus on his throne in the sky, the middle of the tribulation, and will know that he is the one causing all the trials that are happening. I don't know if you saw that when we read it earlier. Global warming. Somebody says to me, you believe in global warming? I said, yeah, sort of, kind of. But I believe something you probably don't. What's that? I believe it's God caused. Why would God do that? To get your attention. Is it working? Not yet. So, what we experience now in the way of global warming, you read Revelation. Man, that's global warming. <clears throat> and so, they're not going to say it's man-caused because in the middle of the tribulation, I'll read it to you again, Revelation 6, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come, who, who is able to stand. And so, the sky was split apart like a scroll, and there is Jesus on his throne. And every individual sees it, sees him. Now, what would you do? I'd say, I believe you are God. I trust you. But most of them will say to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Instead, they reject and they run and they flee. 13, but there will be many who will continue to reject Jesus as their Savior and Lord in spite of all he does to bring them to himself. So if I were to say to you, Define for me stupid. I would say those who experience the tribulation and still reject Jesus as Lord. Now that's stupid. But there's going to be a bunch who do. Um, Revelations 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass, of stone, of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They didn't. They refused to. 
Revelation 16, 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. It was given to it to scorch men with fire. There's global warming. Scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. See, they know who causes it. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent so as to give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the, on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened. They gnawed their tongues because of pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain their so and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So the number who do, who trust Jesus, will be a bunch. You can't even count them, but there's going to be a bunch who do not who simply reject Christ as their Savior. Fourteen, those who continue to reject Jesus as their Savior will spend eternity in the lake of fire with the devil and his demons. Revelations 20, I saw a great white throne, him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great, the small standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Um, the great white throne. And those who are at that judgment, uh, the book of life, you get in there by trusting Jesus, believing the gospel. Fifteen, our responsibility now is to be a witness for Jesus so that many come to Jesus as their Savior before the tribulation. So just a, a note. We talked about Old Testament saints, Noah, Adam, those dudes are going to be a group of people in the kingdom. They'll be the nation of Israel. They'll be a particular group of people in the kingdom. They'll be the church, particular group of people in the kingdom. That's us. It began on the day of Pentecost. It ends on the day of the rapture. It's a definite number of people, however many that is. Then there'll be these people we've talked about this morning tribulation saints. Now, some will, will say that they're part of the church. They're not. The wedding feast of the Lamb has already taken place. The judgment seat of Christ, that where we are rewarded as the church, has already taken place. They are a separate group of people. They will be uh, with uh, Jesus, but they, they will be separate with separate relationships, several, uh, separate responsibilities in the kingdom uh, when we get there. So, now, today. John chapter 20, Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, Jesus was sent by the Father for the purpose of saving the world. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I have sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. The power works when we take a step of obedience in the direction of obeying the command of being a witness for Jesus. It doesn't push us out of our bed. It doesn't push us off the couch. It doesn't take us away from our television set. We take the step of obedience, and as we do that, as we open our mouth, the power of the Spirit works in our life. Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. Reconciled us to himself. That is, took away everything that was a problem. That is our sin. Through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us, that's me, that's you, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us, committed to us, to me, to you, the word of reconciliation, the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so that's my calling yours, and often we are very negligent of the responsibility we've been given. Uh, if 
Jesus functioned to the level that we often function, nobody would be a believer. But he came and he did the work of the Father and he did everything necessary so we can, and he said, in the same way I've been sent, I'm sending you. And I'm giving you the power of the Spirit so you'll have the strength, you'll have the boldness, you'll have the words, you'll have the opportunities. I'll do it all. You just have to obey. So I gave this, uh, all right, um, questions. Where's my question, man? Do I have a guy running around with a microphone? Yeah, there he is. Anybody have a question on the tribulation saints? Dragon, you're on now. It is? Oh, there we go. Uh, my question is uh, on number uh, 10 about uh, the second reason people come to Christ will be because of the witnesses. Is that, and you, maybe I misunderstood, is that the 144,000 will be able to call fire down on the earth and bring... The two witnesses are oh, the ones okay. who have called I the fire. I just didn't hear it. Okay. So, D, my, my question is, you know, you're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. When is that going to happen? Is that going to happen after the rapture, uh, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Cause you Say that one about more time. Sorry. When the judgment seat of Christ. When judgment we're, seat of Christ, yeah, when that's, that's where believers, happen. us, uh, all of us will stand before Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all give an account be rewarded, recompensed for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Over a dozen verses in the writings of Paul describe the judgment seat of Christ. That will happen just as soon as we get to heaven after the rapture. And we receive our crowns, the picture of the, uh, in, in heaven of the 24 elders on the thrones. They worship Jesus by taking and laying their crowns at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. And uh, we'll talk about what that means in a future lesson. But yeah, uh, Right after we get there is the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the wedding. Uh, we are the bride of Jesus, and so there's the wedding celebration takes place. Okay, I have two questions. One is from Ted. Who are the two witnesses that are left behind that have all this power to witness? Who are they? The two witnesses. There's different things. People will say that they're Moses and Elijah. Some say... Um, uh, um, Elijah and... Um, Who's the other dude? Uh, Enoch, because he, he got he didn't die, and so the, but we don't know. So I mean, it, it won't could, be me. Pardon? It won't be me. It, uh, maybe it's going to be you and I. Okay. The second it's not second question is. So during this tribulation period, not only is there tribulation that the angels are throwing down when the seals are broken, but the demonic realm is still loosed during that time. I didn't quite hear the last part. During the seven-year tribulation, is the demonic realm still loosed? So not only do they have tribulation, they still have the demons, Satan. During the tribulation, the demons will be working overtime. Yeah, Satan and his kingdom of darkness are going to be frantically working because they're wanting to win. Right here. My understanding of the millennium is for God's word to be fulfilled that he told in the Old Testament that Jesus would reign on earth and be their, their actual king. And Jesus will be the king during the millennium. And those who have come through the tribulation, the tribulation saints will be there. And those who have been raptured will come back and live there. We will be in the kingdom with Jesus, yeah. With, during the millennial reign on right. earth. Right. Okay, and then, then we will be subject to the loosening of Satan again. Satan is bound during the millennium, the and he's released he for a loose. short time at the end of the millennial kingdom. So we will be around for that second taunting? Yeah. Interesting. We're with Jesus the whole time through it all. What's, what's the significance of all the thirds that were mentioned this morning? I don't know. Don't know. That's an interesting question. Lots of ideas and conjecture, but there's nothing that says what it's about. So I'll just take it for a third. 
Yeah, I don't know. question. Um, you mentioned that you feel that some that hear the truth now and reject it will possibly have a second chance when the raptures occurred and they're left behind because they've heard the truth. But some scholars and some feel based on 2 Thessalonians 10 through 12 about this delusion that will come upon people that have rejected the truth. How, how do you reckon that with what you were saying, because that's some other opinions I've heard that, okay, if they've heard the truth now and blatantly reject it, that this delusional thing will come over them, they'll believe that, you know, Satan's lies then, and so maybe they won't really have a second chance. So I just wanted your take on that. I don't know the answer to that one. Um, I'm familiar with that, and I've studied it and trying to figure out, and there's maybe some, it may be referring before the tribulation, I mean, it's before the rapture, uh, that that's true, um, or maybe a group of individuals, though, maybe the ones that at the end are rejecting. There's a lot of um, questions that I don't know. Um, I'm working on them and reading stuff, and so far I haven't arrived at any conclusion. Hurry up. Yeah, thank you. I'll try. I'm kind of mentally slow. <laughs> any other questions? So, yeah, when a question and answer, I'm always hoping you'll ask, ask one that I know the answer to. <laughs> yeah, well, this is uh, during the millennium. Um, I've read that uh, the lion will lie with the lamb, the child will play with the uh, scorpions and stuff like that. Is this during the millennium or yes. is this at? No, during the millennium. Okay. Does that mean then if we're friends with all the animals, does that mean that we're vegetarians during the millennium? Uh, there's animal sacrifices during the millennium. Mm-hmm. So there are animals getting killed and I'm going to kill some really big elk during the millennium. <laughs> At least that's my plan. I'm not exactly sure on that one. Yeah, one of the things that had confused me uh, on that is because it says that when the waters, when, when he comes on the Mount of Olives, that the, it'll split and waters will come to heal the land, including uh, the Dead Sea, and then there will be fishers. Yeah, lots at, of fishermen. At, I'm in charge the of the Dead Sea, but I, I thought, okay, but they're lying with, you know, it seems like, there's no more enmity. I think probably that lamb and lion means there's no more fighting, no more wars. Yeah. Uh, you know, we won't uh, call each other names on Facebook. And, uh. Thanks. <laughs> I was wondering, will there be death? during the millennium? Those who have entered the millennium alive, physical bodies, uh, it says that some of those individuals will die, but only if they sin and fail to repent if they rebel. And so there will be a little bit, but not much. And, um, but not from those like us that have glorified bodies. Anybody else? I'm glad Matt didn't ask a question. He always asks hard ones I can't answer. So, it's the nation of Israel. He will. It's probably like us taking communion. It's not a for sin, but it's in remembrance of what he's done. But if you read the Ezekiel 40 and following, it's clearly a description of the kingdom era and of animal sacrifices. And so that's been a big question is why. But... Uh, so he's there, and the sin has been taken care of, so it's probably a memorial type of a thing. Like when we do communion, we're celebrating what has already happened. And so the sacrifices would be in a celebration of what's already happened. It's the kingdom. There still be sin, yes. So if you read Isaiah 60 and following... Uh, yeah, Isaiah, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll have a whole lesson, probably two, on the kingdom what happens during the kingdom era. 
There was just one I, more that I thought that, I couldn't. You couldn't uh, answer question. This isn't a question. Just <laughs> Leah had one more on well, how do these people die and so forth and that may help some of that too because you have to remember once you're resurrected in the kingdom, you cannot sin anymore and you cannot die, and so there's separate groups of people, some of which can't sin even when Satan is loosed again at the end of the thousand years. Yeah, we won't be capable of it. But the, those who enter alive, and in fact, when we get to the, we see at the end of the tribulation, excuse me, the kingdom, Satan is released for a short amount of time. The number of people who follow him in rebellion are like the sand of the seashore. Now that's like the most confusing verse in all the Bible. How could anybody who lives through a thousand years of Jesus being king? I mean, you talk about perfect politics, perfect world. This curse is taken away. It's it is the perfect place, but they still don't like Jesus telling them what to do. And so when Satan comes along, he is such a convincing rascal that he gets these people to follow him in rebellion against Christ. And the number is like the sand of the seashore. And the, they get all burned up, and then eternity is ushered in. And we don't have a clue what happens then on because nothing's written about it. But uh, the fact there's going to be a population explosion, people born during, the kingdom, born during the kingdom era, no disease, no COVID, nothing. The only reason anybody would die would be if they sin and don't repent of it. So there's going to be lots of people, and many of those people are going to choose to follow the devil when he's released rather than Jesus. And uh, that to me is absolutely... There's a second definition of stupid. Okay, I didn't quite get my uh, uh, thing finished. Uh, I got two minutes. I'll do it really fast. Here you go. Uh, number one in the uh, five easy steps to be a witness for Jesus. I shared this Friday night. I'll give it to you again real fast. This is our strategy as a church. Number one, pray for those who, who you know that are not Christians every day. Make a list. We call that our seven for heaven. It can be three or it can be 20, but seven for heaven rhymes, and so it's a way of saying it. Pray for those that don't know Jesus. Pray for them every day, every day, every day that God will work in their heart, convict them of sin, remove the blinders that Satan has placed over their eyes, set them free from the prison that Satan has put them in, and work in their life in such a way that they want to know an answer. You just pray for them every day. It doesn't take very long, five minutes possibly at the most. You need a trigger, something that reminds you because you'll forget. And uh, so put something on your mirror. Uh, put something on the dash of your car, put something in your bathroom on the mirror that reminds you, and then every day, just for a couple of minutes, pray for those that you are around, that you see, uh, that they would become believers. Second, look for an opportunity to do something social with them. Maybe as simple as just having a conversation at work. It may be recognizing they like to fish, you like to fish, you invite them fishing. Just to do, hang around, get to be friends. Jesus became, uh, it was declared to be the friend of publicans and sinners. Number three, look for an opportunity to do a good deed for them. As you pray for them every day, you become ultra-sensitive to the things that they say, and they'll say something maybe simple as they don't have a wrench working on their car or something else, or they don't know how to do something. You can help them. You can give them something. You can take a meal to them, um, meet a need, whatever it might be. Number four, look for an opportunity to pray for them. Now, you can do this one of two ways. The best way is they say something about their mom being sick, their kid having trouble in school, whatever it is, and you just right there on the spot can say, hey, could I pray for you? And you pray a prayer for this situation. Or you can say, if you're not bold enough to do that, hey, could I put you in our church prayer letter? And my whole church will pray for you in regards to your kid, your marriage, your job, your finances, whatever it is that's going on in their life. Number five, take advantage of every opportunity to invite them to a JBC event. Men's breakfast is a great one. Any activity where it's social, but just to connect with other believers and then to a service, uh, especially one that's like Christmas, Easter, and then uh, look for an opportunity to share the gospel with them throughout those whole five. And it works well. Pray for them every day. Interact with them socially. Do something to meet a need in their life. Pray for a problem or an issue and a need in their life. Invite them. Invite them, invite them. And, uh, but you've got to do it, something. And as you take a step, little step, 
Write their name on a piece of paper, pray for them every day. Once you take that step, then Acts 1.8 becomes you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. If you're not being a witness for Jesus, don't claim the power. It wasn't given to you to catch fish. It was given to you to catch people. Uh, and so you make the choice to be a witness, and the power then is activated in your life. Sort of like having a big engine on your car, but you got the key turned off. No power. The key in our life for the power of the Spirit of God is when we choose to be a witness for Jesus. And it can be a simple thing. Write names down, pray for them every day. And, uh, have a conversation with somebody. Invite them to church. Do a good deed for them. And you're just moving down that journey, influencing people for Jesus. Okay. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that we have heard the gospel uh, somebody prayed for us at some point in our life, and we sit here this morning as believers, as followers of you, Lord Jesus, anticipating, looking forward eagerly to the day you come and take us to heaven. In the meantime, we've been sent, we've been commissioned, we are your ambassadors, and we have a responsibility. Help us to be faithful, obedient to that calling, knowing that you'll provide us with everything we need to do uh, our job well. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.